Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Cultured or Nah. I'm your host, Shabnam. And as you know, on this podcast, we are fans of daisiness, often mixing historical facts with some uncultured opinions. Today's podcast topic is about comedians and the role of being South Asian, how how that identity may impact your comedy style, and why we're actually just seeing such a flourishing of South Asian comedians in the industry now. So to help me talk about this topic, because I'm not an established comic, I have two people on today, Meghna and Dirty and Daman Bamra, um, joining us from two very different parts of the world. So Daman's in the UK and Meghna's in LA, I believe. Is that correct, Meghna? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have two people joining us to help me talk about this topic. And I'm really excited to have you both on. So thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, big time. Thank you. Lovely to be here. That was so formal. So but it, is, it is lovely to be here. So UK. <laughs> yeah, very polite. Oh, it's not a choice. Um, instant. I'm like, yeah, yes. what's up? <laughs> that's why that's who I think I am inside. But then hello, lovely to meet you comes out and I'm like, oh God. Keep working on it. Keep working on it. <laughs> Um, so Migna is a stand-up comedian and writer, and she actually writes for The New Yorker, so we'll hear from her in a second. And Daman is a comic and writer, um, as seen on BBC and Channel 4 in the UK. So I am going to hand it over to you guys to tell us a little bit more about you, but I think our listeners would just love to hear more about where you're from, I guess a little bit more about you and what you do. Um, so let's start with Migna first. Yeah, where I'm from. I get asked this by Uber drivers a lot. So I have the answer prepared. I'm I was born in India. I was born in Hyderabad. And then uh, we my parents and I moved here when I was eight to Massachusetts. Um, And then since and then we just moved around pretty much every year until high school uh, when we settled down in uh, the Northern Virginia sort of DC area. It's the we call it the DMV. It's the DC, Maryland, Virginia. And we kind of don't call it Nova. Uh, Nova is Northern Virginia, but the DMV is like DC, Maryland, Virginia. And we lived in the D and the M and the B. Um, <laughs> honestly, we lived in the M during when there was like a sniper there. So I do feel like I really lived there, you know, cause I feel like I like really bonded with all the people who were terrified. Um, yeah, that's where I'm from. That's where I grew up. And then I moved to Chicago right after college, uh, to start comedy. And then I lived there until last year when I moved to LA. Um, so yeah, it's sort of been all over the map. Uh, but it's, it's been cool because, uh, I think it's also allowed me to sort of, especially in the Midwest, uh, allow me to sort of understand different audiences. Cause sometimes I think you can get put into this bubble of, just dc brooklyn kind of comedy and then in the midwest you're sort of forced to like meet a lot of different type of americans and understand how to sort of uh, perform to them um and it's uh shaped my comedy a lot made me a lot more holistic just you know coming from the immigrant background and growing up in different parts of america um yeah did that answer your question of where oh I'm yeah Totally. I mean, that's really interesting. Um, I actually have some follow-ups for you already. Um, And we'll get into like why it's, I guess, like how how you start to talk to like different kinds of people, especially because I think the immigrant experience, it's so particular in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, um, I also wanted to ask you, you mentioned you write for The New Yorker. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's 
honestly, it's been really exciting. Um, the editor reached out to me like November of 2020, uh, based on just like some other stuff I was writing for Reductress and for myself. And she asked me to send a draft and like a pitch of some humor thing. And I was like, oh my God, like, okay, the New Yorker's never going to publish me. And she published the first draft I sent her, which is crazy. But, and it was like a classic example of thinking that you're not like good enough for this like really big deal platform. And then being like, oh, I'm actually, I am good enough and maybe better than some of the people that are writing for it. So that was like a cool thing. And then since then, it's given me a lot more confidence in my writing ability and my ability to come up with new stuff. And I, for a while, I was pretty much sending in stuff constantly. And yeah, and she, it was just like a perfect marriage of my comedy with The New Yorker because she really liked essentially every single thing I sent her except maybe like one thing. So it's, yeah, it's been a great way for me to um, grow comedically. And also it's just been like a cool large platform to like talk about stuff like as like culturally respond to things that are like happening like in America there's always something happening that's terrible so there's never a shortage of prompts for me to write to um (laughs) so (laughs) yeah for better or worse um and you know some of the stuff that has done really well has been a timely response to you know a, a terrible news thing that you know, I had to get my frustrations out in some way. And I think for a lot of people, comedy can be that. And I'm really just grateful to have a platform like that where I can sort of have like a microphone to say things out to a lot of people, especially liberal white people who read The New Yorker and sometimes need to like stop watching Hamilton and like listen to what people actually think, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. Um, that sounds really exciting. Um, I actually was going to be like, must be hard to be so awesome because you're like, <laughs> I just like uh, all this you. content did so well. And I'm like, great. Okay. <laughs> um, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, Daman, uh, please tell us more about you as well. I, I really wish you'd ask me first because now I'm going to have to follow that. And my story is, <laughs> is so much less interesting than yours, Migna. That's unbelievable. That stuff, man. I, um, I, I grew up in northwest London in, in a place called Wembley. Um, so, yeah, that's where I, uh, I lived till I was 16. Then my parents moved a little bit further north to a place called Harrow. And now I live west in a place called Ealing. So I've been London-based my whole life. Um, other than for a few years, uh, when I was at uni, I, I, I studied in a place called Sheffield, which was a brilliant, brilliant place. That is where I first got into comedy as well. Um, but... As I understand it, we're going to get into that later on anyway. But um, yeah, I guess the, com- the kind of comedy I do, um, I'd say, it's, yeah, it's based a lot around my personal identity, including race and religion, but then also, you know, observational stuff, storytelling. Um, and I like to make like silly and topical sketches as well. So yeah, I do a little bit of everything, really. Someone seems to be a really big fan of The Apprentice um, based on Instagram reels. I love The Apprentice so much. Oh, God. (laughs) Some people might be ashamed saying that. Not me. I love it. I love it. uh, I love that you're proud. I've never seen the US Apprentice, but it's that that's the one with Trump, right? I mean, yeah, I was like, you don't need to watch it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I feel like whatever I can take from The Apprentice 
I can take it from my version of it. It's uh, I think I think we have a very different like um maybe like the way we perceive the apprentice because Trump was yeah. one like the host of the apprentice. I feel like I feel like <laughs> you're if you say that it's like bad memory, like stop talking about it. <laughs> stop talking, yeah. What's wrong with you? Get out over here. It's like wow, you're a legend. I know. Thank you very much. Um, check out my Instagram. I've got some uh, <laughs> some reels on the apprentices. Are well. at least it started off very actually business oriented. The Apprentice um, over here. Now it's more of a silly reality show, but you know it's a guilty pleasure now because I've watched it for years. Is it the same in in America, or is it just like totally silly straight away? I don't even. I haven't. Know if they still have an Apprentice America. I don't know for a fact, actually. I don't think we do. I think the American version of everything is like kind of just worse or more like capitalistic because, like, it's the same with yeah. the Great British Baking Show. Like, it's so wonderful and calming, and then you watch like an American reality show and you're just like stressed out, like your heart rate is going up, and you're like, "Why am I? I'm not even <laughs> in this." Why am I freaking out? And it's like it's like Hell's Kitchen and just like people yelling. Um, so I Matt, I don't know what the UK apprentice is like. The American one, from what I remember, is just very just it's Trump being kind of a dick to everyone. So oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes I mean, I can't imagine Trump doing anything else in <laughs> any other capacity of any other show anyway. So um yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense or like yeah. weirdly it came back to trump somehow <laughs> within <laughs> like the first five minutes of the <laughs> um but tell us more about how you guys actually got into comedy i know them and you started hinting at this and then you felt restricted by my question asking format so please get into it <laughs> I, I just want to respect the format of the pod um <laughs> yeah my, i got into i got into comedy well i first when I first went to university, there was an improv society and I joined that because the year before I went to uni, uh, I took a little, uh, a little gap year, or as we say in the UK, gap year. And basically what happened was I took my, my cousin visited from Toronto and he was like, take me around London, just show me, show me all the sites. So I took him to the bin, uh, so the bin, the big bent, um, and the Houses of Parliament, and I said, there you go, mate, you've seen London. And he was like, you're a rubbish tour guide, let me take you around London. I was like, all right then. And he took me to the comedy store, and uh, the comedy store players were on that night, who were the original cast of Whose Line Is It Anyway in the UK. And I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. It was like unbelievably good. So when I got to uni the following year, I saw that society and I thought, yeah, I'm in, I'm going to join that. And um, yeah, I just, I think I just had a bit of a knack for it. It started going well and they invited me to join the performing cast. And so for a couple of years, I was, I was doing shows fairly regularly with those guys, um, having a great time. And then I moved back to London after uni and I tried to kind of carry on with improv, but the infrastructure of improv in London was a bit harder to sort of crack and get into. So um, I kind of, I kind of didn't, didn't really pursue that super hard. And also I realized that if I want a career in comedy, improv probably isn't the way to go just because here there's again, no, infrastructure. there's like three or four improv troops that make a living from improv. Here. That that's, that's about it. I don't know if it's the same in the U S but um, yeah, yeah so I thought let me get into writing and stand up and give that a go and yeah so I 
I had my first gig in 2018 and it went terribly and I uh, almost quit <laughs> straight away. <laughs> but luckily I have a big mouth and I told people I was trying to get into it and they were like, so you, you're doing the stand-up thing or what? And I was like, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess I am. I guess I should probably book in another gig. And by my fourth gig, I, I had a, I had a decent run. Um, <laughs> and that kind of inspired me to, to carry on. And yeah, the, re- the rest has been history really. That's awesome. That actually is like, I, I think what I like about it is that it, it felt like a very steady, like organic sort of like discovery into your talents and, and everything. Not saying that like we needed some hero story, but I feel like sometimes people's stories are like just so dramatic that I'm like, I could never do that. It's <laughs> But I, I, think, I think steady story is inspiring in its own way. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, I kind of wanted to do it. And so here we are. That's, uh, <laughs> that's about the extent of it, you know? <laughs> I, I think that's true I think you know I, I'm sure you get this comment all the time people are like whoa like you do comedy that's so mm. scary and it's like well it's just like everything else like it's scary to be like a doctor or like a politician but it's like you have a knack for something and then you like do it and then you get better at it um and that's all it is absolutely absolutely and that's it that's this is the thing we choose because this is the thing that speaks to us so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's maybe scary to somebody who doesn't want to do it but yeah as you quite rightly say everything is scary I don't want tons of stuff I wouldn't want to do so that yeah put me yeah. on stage any day of the week much rather do that <laughs> yeah if my set goes badly like some people just have a bad night if I was like a doctor and I could kill somebody so I'm always grateful that I'm just on stage and the stakes <laughs> yeah. are that nobody dies that's fun for me. I love that. <laughs> yeah pissing people off that is the worst it gets yeah exactly (laughs) what about you um yeah so I like always like loved like comedy as a kid so like when I moved to America like we said we moved around quite a bit because like we were not like well off um and so we didn't have a lot of other entertainment like um like we didn't really like go to movies or restaurants and anything it was just me and my brother hanging out so we would just like watch a lot of tv a lot of pokemon a lot of like stuff and like i just really loved the comedic elements of stuff and then i think when i really i used to read a lot too so in my brain i was sort of always like coming up with stories and different ways like things could have gone and um and i think uh around like middle school high school like I started watching SNL and then like three comedy shows that like I really loved was uh Community, uh 30 Rock, Arrested Development, uh Seinfeld. Uh, I said three but I named four but those were just like shows that I just watched consistently and I like I just loved them. They made me constantly laugh. I loved the characters and I like thought about it at a like a different level than I knew that like maybe my brother other people were thinking about it where they were just like enjoying it and I was in my brain like I was like oh I want how do I like write one of these I had no idea that like a comedy writer like existed as a position or that's something that you could do um I didn't know what a stand-up comedian was but I just really enjoyed comedy um and so I just googled how I become Tina Fey (laughs) and uh I just like read her Wikipedia page and I was like oh she went to Chicago she did improv so that's sort of like something I had in my head but I just didn't know like the pipeline to get there and so I think um 
I just like wrote a lot in high school. It was something that I always got good feedback about. Like I would, you know, like English teachers really fucked with me. Like they would put me in like the literally literary magazines and stuff. So I just had like confidence. I just started growing confidence in my writing ability. And I think um, after college, I made like a decision to move to Chicago because I knew that would be like one affordable um, and two, like there was a really good comedy scene there. And um, I wasn't intending to go into stand up at all. I moved there and I did improv. Um, I, I met a lot of great people through it, uh, some of my closest friends. Um, and I did sketch comedy too, which uh, I, I, I really liked. But um, the thing with sketch and improv is it requires like rehearsals, it requires like a lot of people meeting up requires like renting out space and stage and like writing and stand up is a lot easier to do by yourself. Like you can just come up with an idea and then go to an open mic um, and then you can just go home. Like it, it requires the least amount of commitment. So that's sort of my friend uh, at the time was going to go to an open mic and I was like, you know what, I'll go. And I I wrote out like I like wrote out just like my thoughts in this Google doc and it was like six pages long. And she was like, you get four minutes. And I was like, Oh fuck. So I, I went, I like brought my paper with me and I read it out loud. And I think it got like one laugh. Um, and I was like, okay, that's something I need to just write more like this specific joke. And so I just sort of did that. And that was what was great about Chicago is cause like, like nobody I knew lived there like I didn't know anybody from college or high school and my family lived there so it felt like a very like okay if I do badly here like no one will know and I can just go back to DC or New York and just do like other stuff um so it was just uh it was something that I did for myself and um but yeah like you were saying I had a I had a knack for it and I met some really great people and I got better and I started getting booked at bar shows and then got passed at the clubs and and then you know it just kind of just went from there and then I just kept doing it and now I love it so wow I like yeah. that like after your six-page google doc incident you weren't immediately <laughs> like wait no I, I don't have a knack for this I like that your take was like I got one joke so I need to do more of this kind of thing. <laughs> I think I think anyone who starts comedy especially or you need to have like the right amount of confidence and delusion like yeah in order to keep going like I if I started now like I'm I'm way smarter I would have been like oh I'm not good at this and I would have stopped but but then I was just like for some reason I was like no I'm good um when I wasn't <laughs> and so I kept going uh so I eventually got good but um yeah I mean when you start something you're bad at it that's just like yeah, the way it is. I've been yeah. I've been telling myself the same thing because I've been writing a lot more, and I I like that when you said um about Seinfeld. I also I'm so obsessed with Seinfeld, and I feel yeah, like what always great. like gets me is how they're so good at tying the A story and the B story and the C story. Like it all comes together, like all like. And so anyway, I think I only got into this phase of my life maybe in the last like three or four years where I was watching these shows, I think on a different level than I think like most people are. But I, I constantly have to tell myself like I'm still like an amateur writer right now. So it's not like the work that I'm producing is the best thing ever. It's just going to get better and better from here. But I have to like just keep going. Um, so, yeah, I like that both of you have called that out where it's like you kind of just like pick up something that you've somewhat yeah. back in and you just like keep honing that skill. And it's like anything else. Right. No one's like a born doctor. Like you 
you go to school for it for years and like stuff like that so for uh, sure yeah what Megan was saying actually yes yeah, so it's so true the whole confidence and delusion like perfect balance because you need you need to yeah I remember I got one laugh as well in my in that first five minute set and I clipped it up that little like little nine <laughs> seconds or something and I was showing people the whole set and seven seconds of it to be fair was just me talking and a little <laughs> at the end and <laughs> and that and that was it and I was like look guys I'm a stand-up like it was it was <laughs> it really does and that's and that's what you need to hold on to but I think really if you really want to like do this more and more you need to have that voice in your head that's like oh man you you need to be a bit better though you need to keep getting better and it doesn't matter kind of which level you get to I don't think that's ever changed for me I've never thought oh yeah oh mate you're you're really good at this now I'm just I'm just like okay I, th- I think I might be getting the hang of it but don't don't let this drop don't don't drop the ball on this there's always that little voice in my head I think you, you, you need that just as much as you need the the love of the laugh you know um, no I was just gonna say like it's it's totally a balance of it too because like if you get really hard on yourself then you just um stop like having fun you take yeah. it really seriously and then it becomes like a job and then I have to remind myself oh this is this is supposed to be fun and this is you're supposed to take risks and end up in like you know sometimes you surprise yourself when you like try stuff you never would um and then also at the same time like never getting too comfortable and I, I never want to be the person that thinks I'm like hot shit um, because course, yeah. because then you just stop getting better and like yeah. you're just never going to keep improving. And I think e- even outside of comedy, that's a good way to like think about life as just like a constant learner rather than like an expert. Yeah, definitely. Especially because, you know, comedy and stand up in particular is so, you know, if and when it becomes a job, it's 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 attached to your self-worth straight away. You know, you're on stage, you're doing your job, but equally you're like, whatever you do, whatever you do is like, oh, like me. This is my thought. Please like it. Right. I think mm-hmm. I, um, I had a quote, I think it was from, from Gary Goldman. He was like, don't let every gig be a referendum on your self-worth. And that's such like an important, thing to take away from stand-up as well because you love it but you're you're so like invested in it in a personal way you need to you need to really learn how to manage that um but yeah as long as you can do yeah I love that quote I think like in the last I would I'm like a perfectionist of a person and Mm. I think about things in a very mathematical way sometimes of like oh I need like a joke every, I need a laugh every three to five seconds. Um, and I would write to that and it, you know, it, it worked for a while, but it was also a way to like, to like, um, not completely be myself to sort of enjoy the pauses and like kind of bask in the silence for a moment while you come up with the thought, like I was avoiding all of that and just sort of like, saying jokes and and they mm. worked but it but um I, I was it felt like um a monologue and performance rather than this like conversation that stand-up should be because yeah. um someone said it uh a friend of mine said like um if you want to build like an hour like a longer set it's about creating a relationship with the audience and jokes are one way to do that but the reason people pay attention to you is because you have something to say. And even if you don't have a joke every three seconds, 
they're still listening to you because you're making a good, you're making a point. So it is sort of like, it, I did have to go from like the mindset of like, okay, how do I like create the perfect five minutes or 10 minutes and then go to like, a, how do I build this hour, which is like a reflection of who I am and my thoughts on the world and like a, like an experience for the audience. Uh, and that was like, that was that has happened more in the last year as as I had a, a a better sense of self, a better sense of like my opinions on the world and all of that. But it but I mean it just it just took me a while to go from perfectionist to like being okay with bombing and not like feeling like, oh, I should quit now because I bombed. You know? <laughs> yeah. I guess like in a in a, in um somewhat of a segue but related. I, I like what you just said about um you have a better sense of self and and I know that earlier you were talking about um I guess like learning to talk to different people. One thing that I noticed about both of you is I think I assume that you grew up in very different types of backgrounds, right? Like I think Thumman, when you said that you grew up in Wembley, to me it seems like you probably grew up in a in a very South Asian heavy population yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and then whereas like with you Meghna I feel like you've been moving around a lot and so like you may not have always had that that heavy South Asian community and I I was wondering about what you guys think that that means for like your comedy when you're learning to talk to audiences that are like very different from maybe people that are like of an immigrant background or like someone that you grew up with and how actually like the way you grew up and the types of like, cause I, I would say like even the types of jokes that you can make with people of your own cultural community will be like very different from like the ones that you would make with someone else. Right. So how do you guys make sure that your content lands and what are some of the challenges that you've, that you've noticed in sort of like, I, that one in your case, like making it so that anyone that's not South Asian can like relate to your content and then Meghna may be the opposite for you, which is like, maybe like if you are around more brown people, like, are you, are you trying to customize to that and tailor to that? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think in my case, when I, you know, doing stand up here, obviously 90% of my audience is going to be white basically. Right. So I have to, I have to make sure my audience understands what I'm, saying so a lot of my content is is talking about who I am and me my personal identity my background my religion my culture but in a way that is uh easy for anybody to consume so I think that all of that lives in the premise as long as you're as long as you're building a clear premise and you're talking to people like they don't know what you're talking about because the truth is they don't most of the time. Um, that's, that's the way I would normally approach it. But, you know, at the same time, without being condescending, you know, without being like, all right, you idiots, listen up. Yeah. This is a bit different. So, you know, you know, we, you don't want to, you don't want to do any of that. You want to, you want to bring them into your world because you want to normalize yourself. Right. You want to be like, I'm a part of this world. I'm a part of this community that doesn't often get recognized or talked about in the same way as I acknowledge the rest of you guys. So I want to make this, I want to make this palpable for you guys, you know? Um, So yeah, I have, I, I think I have a fairly, um, well, I have a much easier time talking to like a mixed crowd, uh, a mixed crowd of like ethnicities and cultures than I do a brown crowd, actually, because 
<laughs> with a mixed crowd they're like this is comedy and with the brown crowds they're like okay this is you're just narrating my life buddy like what else you know what else you got so it's yeah it's interesting you ha- i have to definitely switch up my set when i'm talking to somebody um when i'm talking to what well, a crowd that's that's more sort of south asian heavy that is um more of a recent revelation as well <laughs> <laughs> There's not too many brown rooms there to uh, to sort of do stand up to, so yeah, yeah. Um, I grew up in like very predominantly white spaces. Um, Massachusetts is so so white. Um, and you know, same with uh, like Virginia and a lot of places. And you know, in general, like you know, I studied business. I was briefly in politics. I'm in stand up. Like all of those are very predominantly white and male. And I think, um, I think just like as an immigrant, like you're always kind of like, uh, like trying to assimilate. And that's sort of the way that I grew up trying to like assimilate and like trying to like present myself as safe and normal and just like you guys. And when you clearly stick out, right. As if you're like a dark skinned woman, like you clearly stick out from all the white girls. Um, and also sort of, you know, the typical cliche of also feeling like I don't completely fit in with my family in India because I was too like American for them. So I think like um, just my entire life has just been about seeming palatable and assimilating and kind of blending in. And I think for a while when I started comedy, I was also doing that on stage of like trying to cater to the audience and cater to what they think that I should do and what I think, what, what they think my comedy should be like. Um, And I think I got better when I stopped doing that and instead like was more myself and like, like you were saying, like, was just like, Hey, like I'm like different from you, but then also we have all these things in common. And I think um, that's what I really like about comedy is that like, you can sort of be yourself and have your own take on things, but it's also about being relatable to the masses and having the perfect balance of that is having a unique perspective, but being able to relate it to people who are very different from you. And um, I think just always having to fit in has like naturally given me that ability. Um, And then also just, just being in so many different spaces. I mean, yeah, like I studied business and those are all just like finance bros always. And then in politics and then just the Midwest and India are two very different audiences. Right. But, um, but it's like being able to like, just talk to anybody, especially in the Midwest, I think in America, you have a very like, oh, you're either a Democrat or Republican. And that's sort of like the worldview that a lot of like liberals have. Um, And I think being in the Midwest, like, and like, like studying history and all of that has really like helped me understand that there is a lot of working class solidarity across the board. There's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of uh, commonalities between people um, outside of just how they identify politically and people have a lot more in common than they think. Like, like I grew up poor and that a lot of white people and Brown people and black people can relate to like not being rich um, and, or being an outsider. Um, a lot of like people, a lot of women of any type can relate to guys being shitty. So there's just like a lot of <laughs> things that are, yeah, that, there's a lot of things that resonate to different audiences, but also like like you were saying, like um, just being in so many worlds like helps you not talk down to anybody and like sort of 
relate to everybody, um, which I think that's when comedy's fun, when everybody in the room can sort of be on the same page with you, even if they don't look or identify the same. Yeah. yeah. I think that's interesting what you're saying, especially because I, I know this is very different in, in the UK, but I think in the US, there's often this like model minority perception when it comes to um, both like Asian Americans overall and South Asian Americans. And so I find it really interesting what you said about how there is a lot of relatability because at the end of the day, if you're like working class, then like you're all kind of like in the struggle and the grind and like there's like a lot to talk about there. Um, but I, I guess... I was just almost personally taken aback by that comment because I felt like um, a lot of the, maybe the perception, like the standard minority perception of what an Indian American person is, is like, you know, like they're like going to be like engineers and doctors and like live this privileged life. But I think it's more about relating fa the fact that like a lot of us didn't actually grow up that way. That was maybe like a career aspiration in general, but it wasn't like, that was like how everyone started. And so I think that's like really interesting what you said, but I guess like also in that vein, um, and I also hate to ask this question. This is like super cliche. I hate to ask it, but did you, you guys as parents or family have any sort of reaction to you guys becoming comics? <laughs> <laughs> um, in my, yeah, in my case, I know, I, I think I've just been quite lucky. I've been, uh, I think because I sort of phased into it, um, it worked quite well because my parents have been really, really supportive from the get go. They just, wanted to make sure I could you know make a living and support myself in an industry that's quite tough um so I had a day job until the point I could start supporting myself with comedy so it's never sort of yeah it's never been a problem luckily in my household um but yeah I can easily like it's 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 difficult for people to understand what you're doing they're like oh, okay so you, what are you, you, you gigging tonight do you want to We've got this dinner though, if you want to come to dinner. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I am I am gigging, but also like that's I have to gig. That's my that's my job. That's my work. So <laughs> I can't come to things as much as you want, um, or as much as I want, even. But you know, uh, I think that's been a bit of a struggle, just understanding what the lifestyle is like. But in terms of pursuing comedy itself, I think I've been, yeah, I've been lucky to avoid the avoid that stereotype and have really sort of supportive supportive parents and supportive family yeah I um my parents uh it wasn't just comedy because I also went into like advertising and other stuff it, they were more just like it was less like support being non-supportive comedy and more of like them just wanting me to have like a very like stable easy life and I think that me wanting to go into advertising and comedy or politics or whatever they were like no like just why don't you just do the thing that we did and then you could just have money and get married like they just wanted me to do like the easy thing um but I mean you were talking about the model minority myth like I can definitely I like have fit into that like for me it was more like okay well um they weren't super supportive of it but I was so good at it that they couldn't say anything like I got a job in advertising and I was fully supporting myself in Chicago and I was having some success in it and then also doing comedy on the side and then eventually a transition to comedy when I got a little bit more success in that and I still support myself so they don't really have a place to say anything because I was like hey I did all the things I worked at Apple I like 
write for the New Yorker. Like they can't be like quit because they don't really have like a reason. Um, and at this point they're sort of just like, okay, like whatever you're doing seems to be working. So we're just, but uh, also they, yeah, like people don't really understand what it's like to be a comedian. Like, like there'll be times where I visit my parents and I I'll have like shows in DC and they're like, do you have to do a show? And I'm like, yeah, like that's my job. Like you would just never ask a person, do you have to go into work today? Cause you just assume that's what they do. But um, a lot of, I mean, even friends are very like, like they just think like they think of it as like, oh, it's another show you can not go, but it is your job and I have to go and I have to go there and like network and work on new material. It's a lot of like, there's no like manager who's telling me what to do and giving me a quarterly review. It's sort of like very self-motivated. So sometimes it can sort of, feel frustrating when people don't understand because it's like you have to do so many things you have to like write you have to perform you have to edit your clips you have to market yourself you have to promote and it's you you know you have to have like people have podcasts and other side projects and the work really never stops um and so some yeah sometimes it can feel like I'm sure you can relate to this too like it just feels (laughs) like frustrating when someone's like do you have to can you just come to this dinner and it's like no I can't I I have a I have a job it's just at night so yeah yeah that's exactly it no it's totally nonstop. what we have a sister now me and my wife we've got uh, me me my agent my wife we all share one calendar for my gigs and if (laughs) if there's if there's like a night that I have to be free like weeks in advance like me and my me and my wife will chat about it and uh we'll just stick it in as unavailable after like having a chat okay fine that night will take off that night will take off rather than you know because even even time off has to be structured that way because gigs are like again because it's not it's not like a traditional nine to five with with a with a normal standardized system you could get a gig today for tonight you could get a gig today for six months from now so mm-hmm. it's yeah you gotta be you gotta be on top of so many things so yeah yeah the system well, the system works the system. I really have to be very scheduled yeah it sort of forces you to be like very scheduled to the point where sometimes my friend gets my friends get annoyed when, when I'm like hey what if we do it two weeks from now and they're like and and a lot and I think like you know the everyday person is a lot more like loose about their plans of like yeah. oh maybe I'll go and I'm like I'm like, well, if it's not next Tuesday, I can't go because I'm busy every other night. Um, (laughs) Guys, I was just going to say, I think this is a very good sign. (laughs) Like, I think it's like a really good problem to have, like versus being like, well, I'm open any night because, you know, like I don't have gigs. Like, I think think this means that you guys are are pretty successful at your jobs, which is why you're having this problem, right? (laughs) Trying to be, trying to be. Trying to be, yeah. (laughs) Staying on top of it. So one of the things that you mentioned them and that I was also going to double click on a little bit was you were talking about how like sometimes in your comedy, you um, like allude to your religion or your culture. And yeah. I think this is my question for like both of you, but maybe like even more so for them. And because I, I think like there's there's definitely like on the one hand, probably a lot of like audience curiosity when when they see people that look like you guys on stage. Right. But then at the same time, it's like, are you addressing it? How much like how much of a, a role does like your cultural identity play in in your comedy? So, yeah, for me, it, like right now and in, in, 
yeah, the set I'm doing now, it's it's massively taken apart because people don't really know Sikhs very well, you know. So when they see this face doing comedy, it's new. And I want to contextualize who I am before I get into other things and do other things. I do get in, into other things, but, you know, the problem is if I get on stage and I'm like, oh, well, you know, Donald Trump this, Boris Johnson that, people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about this? What's going on with your face, man? <laughs> you know, what about, what's all that hair? What's, what's, what's that turban? Like, you know, so I'm like, yeah, I, I like to talk about it at the top straight away. I think, you know, once you build a bit of a profile and people understand who you are a bit better, it's easier to talk about other things straight away. But for me, I like to I like to address it a bit um, straight away. Uh, <laughs> and generally, it's like it's 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 just good fun most of the time. Usually, people will come up to you with like weird, silly comments. Oh, I love the Sikhs. Do, 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 do you? Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear that before this, but fine. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, is that, yeah. It's usually like older British men saying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside pubs. Uh, there's, um, there's this British store here that I really like going to. A shop, a shop, as you would call it. A shop. A shop, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, yeah, I was really confused there. I was like, what is it? Store? What's that? <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's yeah. called tea and sympathy and then like i because i used to live in there so i really miss um i really miss like chocolate digestives and like stuff like that so they <laughs> sell british goods right and so i go right. to shop with my friend and who is also like a another daisy girl and we yeah, walk yeah. in and there's like this young british dude who is like around our age he doesn't ask us any questions about us he's just packing up my chocolate digestives an older white british man comes out from like behind and starts asking us questions like oh where did you ladies grow up like where are you from and we just said we're from like america like we're from new jersey and then he's yeah like, yeah oh, but like are you indian are you pakistani you know like that whole conversation sure like, yeah. yeah we're we're indian and then he starts going on and on about the story of him seeing a man wearing a turban he's like indians dress really well this man's turban was matching his outfit it was like white and gold it was on a bus and he He's telling the whole story. And I'm like, you saw a Sikh person and you were so yeah. fascinated by them. And then, like, and, and then he was like, Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> Like, because all Indians are very well dressed and all their turbans match their outfits. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, the yeah. majority of us don't wear turbans, right? Like, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> you must have just seen me on stage. So Why and gold <laughs> yeah. turban? God. He looks so inspired by you. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds great. A white and gold turban. Whoever that was, that is one of the most confident Sikhs I've uh, I've heard about. That's uh, that is that is a statement. I love that. <laughs> but do, do you know what it is though? Like you know, with with stuff like that, with people approaching, I I know the stories are often like quite. You know, they're a bit they're a bit silly, like the one like like what you experienced, but. I think, you know, as long as it's coming from a good place, I'm cool with it. I'm like, okay, like, you know, it's nice. It's nice that you now feel comfortable sharing something that you think is cool about about Indian culture or whatever it is. If, you know, as your way of trying to show respect, it's just, there's just always a fine line to it, isn't there? <laughs> right? There's a fine line to uh, to paying somebody a compliment and then just like overkill white and gold turbans. <laughs> 
um but yeah no that that's that's what a story wow tea and sympathy though i love that name and i've been there friday really i'm going there on friday i go there all the time this is like an advert now for tea and sympathy <laughs> wait where is where where are you again in the I'm world in new york and I'm, I'm in new york so it's oh like- that's okay i think there's one in chicago too but i definitely been to a maybe no i think maybe i went in new york is it like very like kitschy old, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i have been there okay okay because- i actually studied abroad in england and uh and then i lived there for a little bit after because my cousin lives in east ham and so one of my friends that i met in uh, london was in new york and we went to tea and sympathy because it was very like british and tea and yeah we like, should go here and i was like okay. I'm, I'm actually going there on friday because uh it's my birthday on friday and my mom oh, she nice. just kept insisting that she wants to do tea for my birthday and i was like okay mother i guess it's my birthday but we'll do what you want to do <laughs> we'll do what you want to do yeah that's how this works go on shopping yeah. you know that tea and, tea, tea and sympathy being such a like well-known british institution surprises me though because like you can definitely get tea here sympathy <laughs> I don't know. That's not. That is not a British in- institution. Yeah. No, not at all. I think it's so funny that the British are known for being polite because, like, historically, they're just anything but polite. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> historically, they colonized like hundreds of countries. Um, yeah. Yeah, they didn't even say please beforehand. No, <laughs> but they said the opposite. They said thank you. <laughs> they they took yeah. it and then said thank you. Yeah, yeah, they said thank you a lot. <laughs> um, what about you, Meg? What um, how how does uh, being South Asian impact uh, your comedy? Um, I think yeah. Like at first, I felt like I had to talk about it on stage, and lately, I will have like a fifteen minute, twenty minute set, and I won't even talk about being Indian really like and I don't think I I don't think it's a good or bad thing I think it's just like sometimes it's good to like call it out but I don't want to fall into like the cliches of like the typical jokes about being Indian and I think um if Mm. I do have those jokes I want to have like a twist on them or like a different take on them and like obviously it's a part of who I am it's not something that I'm trying to hide about myself or that I'm embarrassed about um, I have jokes about my immigrant parents and how they're better people than me. Um, I don't want to fall into the pitfall of like making fun of my immigrant parents or their accents. Um, I, I don't want to have, I just don't want to do like the cliche jokes, but also like, obviously that's how I grew up, but I just, um, yeah, I don't, sometimes I think it's, in, it's more interesting. And, and this is obviously, you know, applicable to like all people of color. I think that feel this way where, like sometimes there's like a pressure to like have to relate everything back to your race. And it's like, I don't want to, like, I remember I wrote this essay about being bipolar and mental health. And my agent was like, okay, but can you talk about how you were, how like you being Indian affected that? And I was like, okay, yeah, I can, but that's not what really this essay is about. And some, it's like, you could say anything. You're like, yeah, I have IBS. And they're like, okay, but like, what about how, how what it's like being Indian and having IBS? And it's like, ah, okay, I can, I can write. Like, sometimes I do mm-hmm. want to talk about it because it's really important aspect of mental health and being Indian. And other times I don't want to focus on it. Um, so I think um, to like, you know, because white people don't have to go on stage and talk about how they're white. So, or, you know, men don't have to go on stage and talk, you know, like they can, but I, I like to uh, more lately been challenging myself to just 
not bring it up. And it hasn't really been a challenge because there's so many things to talk about. Um, and I think that's when one way of normalizing stuff is if I'm already solving the problem by being on stage and being like an immigrant woman of color, I don't have to also talk about it, you know? Yeah. I think it's so interesting that you're saying this because it's, it's like an opinion that I've had for a long time, which is that I think I used to say this to my friends where I was like, I, I will feel like we've truly like arrived in America or like are taking up space when we no longer have to start sentences of with like, as an Indian woman or like as a Brown woman, I think X, like it's just sufficient to say as a woman, I think X or as a person, I think X. Right. So I, I think that's like something that had bothered me for a long time. And personally, it also bothers me as a content creator, like using Instagram or like, I, I don't use TikTok yet, but I will soon um, using like <laughs> all these different like social media apps. Cause I, I think sometimes the advice I get from other people whose content blew up on these platforms is that they're always like, yeah, but you really need to like make it clear to your audience, like why you're saying what you're saying. Like you should maybe start with like, as a Desi woman X. And that drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, wait, but I think I think this regardless of being a Desi woman. Like, I don't think I think this because I'm a Desi woman. I think I yeah. think because this is my personality and this is who I am. And I, I think that we almost like, it's like a double-edged sword. Cause I think what I'm noticing in today's world is that while we are taking up so much more space as a people, and we're getting so many more opportunities than we were, I think on the flip side, people are almost leaning so far into their like South Asian identity in a way that we just didn't when we were growing up. I think maybe because the the societal norms back then were to like blend in and like feel very American and and like, you know, be proud to be an American. I still am. But like, you know, it's just I think now it's become more culturally accessible, acceptable to like be like more leaning into your culture. And I think at some point, like something happened where like white people just like went out of vogue. And I feel like now everyone's white bashing all the time, which also makes me uncomfortable. I mean, like to some extent, it's fine. But like, I think like people like just make like the, the whole theme of everything that they're saying, basically just like this anti-whiteness. And so I think we're seeing all these like new trends that frankly, just like stump me. Um, but one thing I did notice was when we were growing up, there'd be like this token brown character. So like you mentioned like 30 Rock and I'm forgetting like the character's name, but it was like um, Alec Baldwin's assistant, for example. And so yeah. I feel like he would like come in and like, you know, like there were always, there was always like that one brown character. Malik Pancholi, I think was the actor. And there was always like that one brown character and there would always be some kind of joke about them being just as American as anyone else or like something like that, right? And, or like some sort of reference to their, their background, but like not necessarily like going into it as much. Whereas I feel like like now I really appreciate that we're in a place where like you like there can be a character that is South Asian but like we're not like it's not like the point of that character like they're not like just there to talk about being brown they're actually just like you know will like go on with their lives as a character um and and so I think this brings me to my next point then which is that like if there's been so much more of a of an opening and and like creating space for people of color in the industry do you guys think that there are still certain challenges um to being a South Asian comic and it's okay if there aren't but like do you do you guys still think that there's certain challenges of opportunity or otherwise that like you think are still present yeah I mean I think just like any if you're a minority in any sense there's just going to be certain challenges because but I think those challenge individual challenges will also be there but I think most of the problems are like more systemic right it's not it's that the majority of things are still controlled by rich people and white people and and men and I think like as long as that's the case like 
like, you know, if you have like a bunch of clubs and they're all the bookers are like white men, like that there's certain, not that all their tastes are the same, but like, there's going to be a certain like type of comedy that you see over and over again. There's going to be a certain like way that they promote to the clubs and the audience that they curate is going to be the same. And then I'm not going to be able to play to that audience necessarily. So, and, and you know, even with like all these networks, like HBO, Hulu, whatever, like you have these meetings with them and like they still sort of see diversity as this like like thing in vogue. And they're like, oh yeah, like let's like make like a brown show because we that's like in that's like a trend now. Um, and so as long I, I think like the biggest like thing that holds you back is um like the systemicness of it. Um and I think that is like changing, which is, which is good. Um, and I think also just because there's so many networks now, like a lot more content is being produced instead of like, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands, when there were just like four shows that everyone watched now there's so many shows. So there is like space for like shows that aren't that like, like, I don't know if you've seen bust down on Peacock, like it's really great. And it's like, um, for black people. And it's not about like race really. I think also to add to a point you were saying earlier is there is like a balance because I think like sometimes white people think they're being progressive by saying I don't see race and I don't think that's the solution but I also don't think like sometimes the way that these like companies do it where they make everything about being diverse is a solution either but I think they're both two sides of the same coin of othering or um, not recognizing someone's identity I think like like you said, like, as long as like, I'm in control of the narrative of how I represent myself, like, then that's great. Like, like, obviously, if you have a set, like, if you have Abed, right, in community, um, he's a South Asian person, but the point of his char- character isn't about him being South Asian. It's about his relationship. It's about his friendship with Troy and him being weird and referencing a lot of film things but also at the same time he's not like hiding that he's South Asian like that's also a part of his character and I think that is like to me the ideal representation when someone's just like able to like wholly be themselves um and it doesn't and and it's not like a company forcing diversity down your throat but it's also not like a white, white person that's trying to like avoid saying this person is brown or black like both of those things are treating it like you're like this alien person that was really roundabout but i hope there was a point in there somewhere no i think no, I definitely think yeah go ahead Daman. what are you yeah thoughts? no 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 i was gonna i was gonna say i completely agree i think i i think i heard um resolve i'm gonna paraphrase this completely but he said that there's you know there's like three levels to representation and you know the the, f- the first is like you know getting someone in but it's totally a stereotype so if I was cast but as like you know someone who runs a corner shop or is a terrorist or something like that and then um and then there's like and basically that the, the highest the highest phase of it is like you are in the show and you are just a person in the show it doesn't matter that you're that you're whatever you are whatever race you are or you know, and um, I, th- I think, I, th- I think I just don't see, I don't see too many examples of that at the moment. But we're definitely, we're definitely verging more towards that. 
um, I think, in, in the industry. Um, yeah, it's just it's something I definitely want, want to see more. Um, I, think, I think you're totally, uh, totally right, Megna, where you were talking about, you know, there's more, there's more networks now taking on more different types of shows, different types of stories, but also, like, you know, with the advent of social media and, you know, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, like, you can just kind of put out your own work however you want to do it. And there is a free market, in a sense, where you know i know a great deal of luck and such has to be involved as well but you know you could make a show about whatever um as someone with south asian heritage and not reference being south asian or reference it to the degree that it's true in your life and as long as it's a good piece of work and it you know you hit the right points of luck like it will be successful so you don't need you don't have the same gatekeepers um in many ways um so yeah we're definitely we're definitely moving towards um a point in the industry where we're close to that level three the the level of just being yourself and being represented as yourself or as a character any character um regardless of your background so yeah and that might be actually your answer to my next question, but I wanted to wrap with what you guys are the most excited about in terms of like where you see the industry going and where you see comedy going and shows, all of it. Um, I think what I'm most excited about is you kind of said this earlier as like the trends and stuff. I think like every new trend is like a response to an old trend. And I think um, like, comedy and writing and any creative thing is the best when it challenges stereotypes when it kind of uh flips tropes and um and and that's just not even related to race like you see there's like a rom-com trope established and then the next response to it is flipping that trope um and the response after that is like maybe embracing the trope so i think like things are just cyclical in that way and i think um i'm really excited to where we're moving where um like, you know, you had like the phase one of the Aziz Ansari and Mindy Kaling where they had to like cater to white people. And then you had like sort of like the phase two of like a Hassan Minaj who is like very owning his brown identity. Um, and now we have sort of this like phase three where you have a lot of brown comics and writers who just feel like they can be themselves, who can uh, talk about tech or not t- or not tech, but like there's like Sahib Singh who like has really funny content making fun of landlords. Yeah. And, and there's like so many like there's like Nimish Patel, you know, and there's so many like brown comedians who do such a good job of involving their race and identity. And then also just like talking about really dumb things and having a take on so many stuff. And I, and I feel really excited that I can like now make content without having to explain how I look or where I come from. And it can just be like a reality TV show parody that I do with my dad. And that does well (laughs) and I also just be because there's so much Gen Z brown people on TikTok and all of that stuff like they really respond to it and I no longer feel this like nervousness about bringing it up or not bringing it up I feel like I can just like finally just make what I want to make and I'm really excited about that that's uh yeah that's so incredible I um yeah I, I definitely echo a lot of that I don't think I don't think I'm quite um 
at the same point of comfort in terms of um in in terms of like my appearance versus my my content i still feel i don't know i still feel like i'm uh uh i'm in a space where i feel like it has to be addressed um just because those i don't know it's a very it's a it's a very like rare face i suppose and i do i but i yeah so i think how do i put it like I think I would love to get to a point of a uh, Nimesh Patel where you sometimes you talk about that stuff, sometimes you don't. I really, in fact, most of the stuff I want to talk about is not any of that stuff. I just think, I just think that um, it's played such a big role in my life that it would. I feel like I'm in a space where I have to address it, um, but. I think you're totally right. I think the ideal place is to just talk about whatever and no one blinks twice. And um, that is definitely more space I want to move towards. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, to echo what you were saying earlier, Shabnam, I am excited about the industry moving in that direction. I think I'm also excited by, I love how, first of all, like something like this, this podcast is is available and is happening and I'm getting to talk to both you guys who are US based comics and the world's become a bit smaller and I can now enjoy what you guys are doing. And I think comedy is really taking off in a different way uh, with all of our voices becoming more and more heard in this space. So I think it's just an exciting time to be, a, to, to be a comic so yeah so as we wrap let's make sure our our listeners um know where they can find you guys's content so let's start with you Daman. where should our listeners uh follow you uh on instagram and tiktok i'm daman.bamra d-a-m-a-n dot b-a-m-r-a-h and on twitter i'm at dsbamra uh which is d-s-b-a-m-r-a-h i didn't know if i need to spell that out because i'd already Never mind. DS I just followed um, you. Yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> sweet. Fun fact. Um, I I think Daman's last name is the same as the lead character from Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> yeah. It, really? Wait, is that wait, is the um the is just meet the bummer, right? It's yeah, jazz bummer. But um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my sister's name. <laughs> oh, really? That's fun. Yeah, and um, the director, Gurinder Jagda, she um she came to she came to one of my shows the other day. Yeah, it was really cool. Oh wow! Oh that's, no that's, way! That's like making it. We had like a little um, friend of mine. He put on a show at the comedy store for um, for a Sikh mental health charity. Uh, sorry, let me say that again. Sikh mental health charity. Um, and yeah, and she was there. She showed up. She came into the green room, said hello, chilled out. Yeah, it was very cool. It was very very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's so cool. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Meg dot in or not just Meg and Dirty Meg in Dirty I N D U R T I, um, and that's me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I definitely use Instagram the most, so that's where yeah. to go to find all my stuff. Big time. Same. Same. Well, same. although I do have a TikTok, and I post on TikTok every now and then, and. Yeah, I I don't like want to be the person that posts every day. I just uh, like to post when I have a good idea and 
think it resonates. So that's fine. Cool. And you guys, please continue following Cultured or Not. That's at Cultured or Not. And if you want to follow me personally, I'm at Shabnam Galati. Thanks so much for listening.